I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Susan Oakey, a medical journalist and clinical assistant professor of family medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine. Dr. Oki has written a perspective article about the ongoing evolution of the primary care physician. Dr. Oki, you trained in family medicine. Why did you choose that path, and what kind of advice put you on it? Well, I graduated from Harvard Medical School in 1978, and at that time, family medicine as a specialty was relatively new, and it was uh, getting a lot of attention among medical students and generally in the country, the whole idea of bringing back uh, the general family doctor, but um, with better training, more extensive training to see both children and adults. And there were no Harvard or Boston training programs in family medicine, but there were a number of people in my class who were interested in it, and I chose it uh, because I liked being a, ger- a generalist. I always have liked that, and didn't really uh, want to narrow in on a specialty, and I knew that I preferred outpatient medicine to hospital medicine. But I would say that even at that time, uh, I, 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 the advice I received was that the best programs for family medicine training were in the West and in the South and in rural areas of the country because in hospitals, particularly in the East, where there were multiple residency programs, there was competition between the internists and the family doctors or between the internists and the pediatricians for getting to manage patients. So you saw this sort of competition, and I think it has played out a bit in the marketplace, too. Family doctors really are are needed and probably most appreciated in rural areas and in places where there is a doctor shortage. Despite what we sometimes hear, you cite survey data in your article that indicate that primary care physicians are no less satisfied with their work than specialists are in the United States. Do those data jibe with what you've seen and with what medical students say they're hearing about primary care? Well, the data are collected over time, and they do compare populations of physicians uh, in one era with another. So they do show that doctors, for the most part, people that go into medicine remain uh, satisfied with medicine generally. They, they enjoy it and they are happy to be in it. But I certainly hear primary care colleagues being complaining about being overwhelmed with all the demands of documentation, the demands of quality assurance, and trying to work fast, work efficiently, and fulfill all of the expectations that they that they have about what needs to happen during a typical primary care visit. Patients come in with more expectations, more questions, and there are many different uh, measuring points in terms of what should happen, vaccinations and preventive care and so forth. So I think there's certainly a lot of pressure on on colleagues that I see doing primary care, and, and it's probably a higher pressure specialty than in the past. If the Affordable Care Act is upheld, there'll be an additional 32 million patients in the U.S. healthcare system, potentially. Given what you say, can that kind of number be accommodated by the existing pool of primary care physicians? I don't think that it can by primary care physicians alone, not by the number that we have right now. I think that we will need the involvement of nurse practitioners and physician's assistants and probably the involvement of some specialty physicians to meet the rising demand for primary care. 
And I believe that's part of the reason that health systems and large medical practices are putting so much emphasis on team care, and you see a lot of them hiring nurse practitioners and PAs as well. And given the unpopularity of primary care among today's medical students, would it even be feasible to produce more primary care physicians to meet that demand? Well, during my research, I talked a lot with Dr. George Tebow about these kinds of questions. He is president of the Macy Foundation, which looks particularly at ways to reform medical education and training. And he suggested that it may require efforts to adjust the number of residency slots in various specialties so that the numbers of doctors that we're training in different specialties more closely match what the nation is projected to need. Right now, there isn't really national control over uh, how many members of certain specialty get trained versus how many primary care physicians. And I think that to change the minds of medical students, it will also require some changes in the financial incentives. We know that students come out of medical school with huge debt today, and this is a factor in what they decide to do. And doctors in most other specialties make more money than primary care physicians. Sometimes they make much more. So if there were a way to either equalize the income landscape or uh, have financial incentives that would reduce the debt of graduates who went into primary care, that would probably shift the balance. And I would say that at Georgetown I mainly work with first-year medical students, and I do meet students who come to medical school with the goal of going into primary care, very excited about going back to their home communities, uh, whether it's their own um, ethnic group or whether it's to a rural area or to the town where they grew up, and doing primary care and taking care of those patients. Uh, but at the same time, the medical students that I that I meet with, they're very excited about providing clinical care, and they often work in a student-run clinic which takes care of indigent patients or uninsured patients, and they get quite overwhelmed by how complicated the health system is and how many financial and social barriers there are to providing good care. So I'll hear students say that they really want to be able to fix a problem. They really want to be able to take care of a problem for a patient, and they get quite discouraged at the idea that disease is chronic and that it's an ongoing process. And those students who say that they really want to be able to fix somebody and make them better are very often the ones who say they want to go into surgery or into specialty care. How has the scope of practice of the primary care physician changed in recent years? Well, the scope of practice has narrowed. Uh, one interesting uh, source of information on this is periodic surveys that are done within family medicine, uh, and they are fairly exhaustive surveys because family physicians who are board certified have to fill out these surveys as a condition of remaining board certified. And they show that uh, right now most family physicians are not doing preoperative, postoperative, or maternity care. More than half of them are not doing any in-office surgery. Uh, about 55% say, surprisingly, that they spend no time on mental health care and a quarter of them don't see children. Uh, the mental health care data, as I was told by the head of the Family Medicine Board, uh, may not include, it's possible that, that physicians don't interpret that question as including the prescribing of antidepressants, which I think is a common practice that probably most primary care physicians do. Um, but part of what we're seeing is there is competition with other specialists for patients, 
and particularly the issue of not caring for children may reflect the fact that a lot of family physicians are hired these days by large health systems or HMOs, and they're often asked to see primarily adult patients because there's a, a serious shortage of general internists and there's not a shortage of pediatricians. So another um, big change, too, is that with the growth of hospitalists, um, very few primary care doctors, whether they're internists or family physicians, are taking care of their own patients when those patients go into the hospital. And also in internal medicine, uh, I learned from Dr. Chris Sinsky, from, who observed a number of primary care internal medicine practices, that there is more of a tendency among internists these days to refer patients to specialists for problems that they might have treated in the past. So I think you can say that there's a general narrowing in the scope of practice among primary care docs. What do you see as the pros and cons of team-based care? You, you mentioned physician assistants and nurse practitioners. What are the appropriate roles for, for them on a team? Uh, I work with nurse practitioners and physician assistants in a safety net clinic, and my observation is that they can do very well on a lot of the routine problems that we see. We tend to see many of the same diagnoses time after time, chronic chronic illnesses like diabetes or hypertension, and they particularly do well explaining and counseling patients, sometimes talking about lifestyle changes and keeping track of preventive care measures that need to be done at intervals. Um, and they can work really well on a team with physicians, and in the process they can give the physician more time to focus on diagnosis or on discussing different treatment options with the patient, or on deciding what to do when a decision is complicated. Uh, at the same time, there's been a kind of emphasis on team care because uh, it, it allows other team members to share in the paperwork and documentation, so it kind of helps with the paperwork burden that physicians have these days. And nurses and medical assistants and other members of the team can also provide a lot of care coordination between visits when patients call, when they have questions, when they need a prescription filled, and so on. Um, but I think the challenge is that there has to be really excellent communication on a team and trust among the team members and each other's skills. And as physicians or as nurses, we really aren't taught how to do all this during our training. We're trained in separate silos and come out really not knowing how to cooperate in that way. So a lot of focus now is being placed on the whole idea of interprofessional education. That's another goal of the Macy Foundation, and I've heard about it from deans at medical schools and public health schools and nursing schools. Uh, the idea that these different professionals are going to have to be educated together more if they are going to be learning how to be very effective team members in the office. And I guess I think the last challenge is maintaining a, a consistent quality of care, standard of care within a practice, um, and trying to ensure that if a patient has an uncertain diagnosis or if they have multiple illnesses or their case is otherwise complicated, that that case would get triaged to a doctor rather than always being seen by another, another professional. You quote Dr. Sinsky as saying that the electronic health record is a disruptive innovation. What's been the effect of the EHR on the patient-doctor relationship in primary care? I think 
in some ways it's improved uh, care because it provides better availability of clinical information and test results and so forth at the time that you're seeing a patient, so it's able sometimes to reduce the unnecessary duplication of tests and improve communication among different providers. But that all depends upon having a system that is coordinated so that different doctors in different sites can get access to the information and talk to one another so that they can look up something that happened at the hospital. And we're really in so much the infancy of this of this um, new technology that I think doctors and, and other professionals are, are dealing with systems that don't always communicate with each other, that aren't always user-friendly, that are full of glitches. Uh, so there's it's involved a huge amount of learning on the part of doctors and other professionals, and at the same time, um, working out the glitches and entering the data manually. So it's hard to say how this is all going to turn out, but right now there's just, I think, great frustration uh, that kind of goes along with everybody having to learn this new technology at the same time that they're trying to do their job. Um, the other dilemma, uh, Abraham Verghese particularly pointed this out during my research, is that uh, young physicians and physicians in general can get so focused on interacting with the computer that they forget to look at the patient. And they have to get things done during the visit, including getting data entered. So the most efficient way for them is often to ask the patient questions and then type the answers into the record while they're conducting the visit. But as a result, there's less eye contact quite often between the doctor and the patient. And there may be, be less in the way of a physical exam in some cases, according to Dr. Verghese, because lab results are there on the screen and the doctor is checking the lab results and sometimes the physical exam can get neglected. So those are all challenges that I think the electronic health record is posing that we are going to continue to be working through. Given that list, uh, do you think the positives outweigh the negatives? I think they will outweigh the negatives, but I can't say if they're outweighing the negatives right now. I mean, I'm not in clinical practice five days a week, and this is this is a huge technology change that's changing the whole profession in, in every setting within the healthcare system. So I don't know. Good question. What do you think primary care will look like in the United States in 10 years or 20 years? I think that we will see... We're already starting to see bigger practices, a lot of consolidation. Here in the Washington area, we're seeing a lot of um, health systems moving in and buying up primary care practices or taking over primary care practices. And those practices are looking more uh, diverse in terms of having both doctors and nurse practitioners and different kinds of professionals. Uh, there's kind of an economy of scale involved in having if you have a bigger practice that is connected to a health system, it's easier to really provide team care and have additional professionals like health educators or nutritionists. And I think that's the direction that things are going in. Um, I think that more of us will probably go to the doctor and not always see a doctor every time. Maybe we'll be more apt to see a nurse practitioner or a PA for some kinds of issues. I think the electronic records will get better and probably get better at communicating with one another. 
and all of us will probably get more used to using the computer as a portal to look up our lab results or to ask questions or to renew our prescriptions. I mean, that's the ideal, and hopefully things will get smoother as, as the changes go on, but I don't think we've answered the question with any of this as to how we're going to take care of underserved populations. We're, we still are going to have people in rural areas who are seriously underserved and, and many populations even within the cities that don't have good access to care. We still have a lot of undocumented immigrants in the country who don't have good access to care. So these kinds of disparities are going to continue to haunt us and still need to be addressed. Thank you, Dr. Oki.